Welcome to the Come Follow Him podcast. This podcast is put together by the Boise Nampa LDS Institute of Religion. Our hope here is to help young adults find relevant principles as they study this week's Come Follow Me scripture block. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It's not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions and perspectives, as we have learned to come follow him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Come, let's follow him. Okay, well, welcome. Um, It's good to be with you again this week. Uh, Super excited uh, to have Sister Michelle Burke with us this week. Uh, one of my uh, partners in crime here with podcasting. We uh, together work on the I'm In podcast, which the Institute here hosts as well. Um, Sister Burke is a good friend of mine and a wonderful teacher. Uh, we're currently teaching a class together at the Institute here and, and just uh, love working with Sister Burke. So I'm super excited about, um, about working with you here today and talking with you about Isaiah. That's where we are. Yeah, you love me so much, you give me the first chapters of Isaiah. (laughs) I just trust you. That's we'll just call it that. Um, Sister Burke, just quickly tell us something about you, something that you think everybody should know about you. Uh, I love teaching at the Institute. I love young adults. Um, Worked this summer at FSY as a session director and had such a cool experience with the youth up in Moscow, Idaho. Um, I just see so much potential in the youth and in our world. And yet in these chapters of Isaiah, you know, it gives all the warning of, what will happen in our day and it does match exactly what's going on with our youth and our young adults and all of us Um, but there's so much hope too when you are a part of the gospel you you really don't need to fear you just need to believe and follow yeah yeah wonderful I uh, I I'm excited to to dive into Isaiah I think there's a uh, there's some misconceptions about Isaiah in fact you and I before we hit record we were we were not arguing, but we were disagreeing slightly <laughs> about Isaiah a little bit. I think Isaiah has so much to offer people. It has depth. It ha- you could study it every day, your whole life, and learn something new. Yeah. But people give Isaiah a bad rap, and I don't think they should do that because yeah. they're going to have to look him in the eye later, and he'll be like, what do you mean? My right. writings was perfect. Even Christ said, read my writings. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, and in fact, uh, I my my stance on it was, well, I don't want to like not validate people's struggle with Isaiah by saying there's so much here and how wonderful it is because I agree with that. Um, but in my studies of Isaiah, I had to understand the book of Kings, the book of First and Second Kings, really to understand what he was talking about because of just how they had, how, how the people had broken up. And so while I want the simplicity of Isaiah being there's so much depth, um, for me, just the way my brain works, I needed to understand the books of Kings in order for me to really understand what he was talking about when he brought up some, some of the stuff he brought up. But I love what you mentioned. You said uh, Christ encourages us to read this and and i just will point us to that as we start today third nephi chapter 23 um he he says i'll just read it he says now behold i say unto you that ye ought to search these things yea a commandment i give unto you that ye search these things diligently for great are the words of isaiah and let's point out this is when the savior has come to the temple in the book of mormon in third nephi and of all the things he's choosing to say to all the people in his appearances (laughs) I'm going to point you to Isaiah. Yeah, yeah, a, a commandment even. So, so if you've shied away from Isaiah, he in didn't the past, say like, "Hey, study Omni right. or study Moroni." Like, <laughs> right. there could have been more fun things for him to point to. He points to Isaiah. Yeah, for sure. 
I, uh, I just think uh, the commandment that he gives us is something that we should take seriously, that, that there's something here for us. Um, well, and he goes on even in verse 2 and says, Isaiah spake touching on all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. Therefore, it must needs be that he must also speak to the Gentiles. Yeah. So he has a lot to say to those members of the house of Israel, but he has a lot to say to everyone in the world because he talks about the coming of the Messiah both the first time yeah. and the second time. Yeah. And he talks about the gathering of Israel and he talks about the work we need to accomplish. I mean, he sums up all the things that are supposed to happen here in mortality in preparation for the last days. And so this message is very relevant to all of us. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I'll just maybe read one more verse, verse 4. Therefore give heed to my words, write the things which I have told you, and according to the time and the will of the Father, they shall go forth unto the Gentiles. So this was instruction, and it's interesting he uses Isaiah to prep saying, hey, you didn't write about Samuel the Lamanite. Remember when you didn't do that, right? He says, look at how important the words of the prophets are. Isaiah is powerful and will teach you all the things. By the way, there's a prophet you didn't write about, right? And, and I think there's just so much power in that. And it makes me wonder and ponder on how much validity we give our current prophet and his words and the things that he says and, and that we get written from him. I, I just think there's value there in remembering. For sure. Robert Matthews, um, I love that he listed in his book, um, Gospel Scholar Series, he talks about how Isaiah has 2,186 different words in the book of Isaiah. Wow. So the vocabulary of this prophet was big. Yeah. Where you compare other books like Ezekiel only had 1,500 words or Psalms that was written by several per people, which you would think would increase right, the vocabulary, yeah. right? still is under 1500. Oh wow. So for Isaiah to be almost 2200 different words mm. shows his ability to communicate. Yeah. Um, all of the symbolism and examples he gives, he tries to portray to us, here's what I'm talking about, here's what it looks like, right. picture yeah. this, yeah. imagine this. With with in, with a um, masterful brain, right? With a, just a, a a master brain. And to to me it's a little bit akin to uh, when we would listen to Elder Maxwell speak, um, for those that remember Elder Maxwell, he had a very similar yes, vocabulary and yes. spoke at a very high level. I remember sitting in conference listening to Elder Maxwell and thinking, okay, I'm going to try to listen the whole time I'm going to stay in. And I could get about four sentences in <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm just going to have to study this when it comes out. The other thing about Isaiah's warnings and prophecies is that they cover almost 3,000 years. So he's, mm -hmm. he's prophesying about Israelite history in a massive amount of time, not sure. just like next year will be a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> it's, right. it's here's this whole history. And he also talks about the first and second coming of the Messiah, the restoration of the gospel, the gathering of Israel, yeah. all the events leading up to the millennium, even characteristics of what the millennium will be like. And then Victor Ludlow said, remember, as Christ said about Isaiah, surely he spake as touching all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. Yeah. So, the study of Isaiah, I mean, it's that's huge. a lifelong project to understand 3,000 years of what, in our lifetimes, much of it has happened. Right. And we still have much more yet to happen. So there's so much to learn as we progress through our doctrinal understanding and learning. Right. I, I think that also just connected to the scope and size of Isaiah is to recognize how much of the Old Testament was written while he was alive and while he was acting as a prophet. And mm -hmm. um, we go clear back to 2 Kings 14. Um, where Isaiah is first mentioned. Um, we've got his interactions with Hezekiah in 19. We've got 
I mean, clear back then. And and if I think sometimes we read the scriptures and we think it's a chronological book that's taking me from year zero with Adam to you know yeah that would be easier through the Old Testament. But but really, once we get to Kings, we kind of stop and we just talk about all the stuff that was going on there. And Isaiah really is present through most of the books from Second Kings on. Well, he was born about seven hundred and seventy BC. Sure. So he's just before Lehi. Yeah. Lehi leaves in 600 BC. Uh, just before, meaning like 170 right. years. Yeah. But, but in, in the history of the Bible, yeah. he, he's, he's just a pres, uh, precedent to Lehi. Sure. And so that's his time period. And yet 700 years before all these things happen as a prophet to yeah. foresee and prophesy about the babe that will be born to a virgin and the immaculate conception and all the way through to the restoration and the bringing forth of the gospel all the way to our day, gather, 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 bring, 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 get ready, get ready. And then we're still waiting for the savior's second coming. So his words have been fulfilled and are yet to be fulfilled. And and there's so much. It's interesting to me as I read through Isaiah, there's, there's a lot of, um, uh, uh, there's segments of Isaiah that, um, make me think of King Benjamin and how clearly King Benjamin understood the, the birth of Christ yes. and you know just the, the visions that would have been given to King Benjamin on a different continent when likely they didn't have the book of Isaiah um, in their in their records and so you know to have that revelation be given on the American continent as clearly as it was given in in uh, Jerusalem would have been I think it's, it's kind of cool just that the Lord was using King Benjamin in a similar way to use. Isaiah on a, on a different continent. Well, and and truthfully, that's how he uses all of his prophets. Yeah. Right. He they are there to warn, to foresee, sure. to help us prepare, to give counsel on how to endure it. Yeah. And and that's really how Isaiah starts out. He's pretty bold in talking about we should not be rebelling against the Lord. Right. He jumps right into that in the first chapter. He also talks about don't do religious ceremonies without faith. Mm. Uh, you've you've got to be sincere in your devotion and your worship. Sure. And he talks about don't worship worldly things or military security instead of the Lord. That the Lord it has to be first in your life, and yeah. that's how he starts his message in these books. You must rely on the Lord, which brings you back to President Nelson's <clears throat> quote: "You must rely on your spiritual, personal revelation to get through these last days. You will not survive without it." Yeah. And and here's Isaiah saying the same thing. You can't have pride. You can't oppress other people. Uh, you just, you have to be focused on him. Well, and it's so relevant. It's so relevant to our day. I mean, verse 5, Isaiah 1, 5. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. Verse mm-hmm. 6, from the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. I, there, I mean, he's, he could have been speaking about our day, right? Just oh, yes, how wonky yes. we've gotten in, in the way our cultures uh, see things. And Well, and even at 11, to what purpose yeah. is the multitude of your sacrifice unto me? If your heart's not in it, why are you doing it? Yeah. And, and this is a struggle, I think, with a lot of people, especially our missionaries. Mm-hmm. If they're not converted when they get out to the field, they don't know why they're doing this. Yeah. It is... It is all day long work. It is a test of your obedience. It's a test of your sacrifice to him. Are you going to give him everything? Yeah. Are you going to turn to him and let him lead your day? Um, there's so many distractions yeah. for our generation that we you have to make a decision. You have to decide, is my purpose the Lord? Is my sacrifice for him? Or is this all about me? 
Yeah, you know, um, President Nelson invited us to consider our foundation and he asked us directly, how firm is your foundation and what um, corrections might you need to make? He remember he was talking about the um, Salt Lake Temple and the fissures that they found in the foundation there and, and he referenced our lives that way saying, you have, you have cracks, so have you identified them? Are you willing to say, here's my crack, this is something I'm struggling with and I need to address it, not just I'm going to let it sit in the back of my mind and be a problem. Mm -hmm. He says in verse 13, bring no more vain oblations. Uh, incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the callings of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even a solemn meeting. We, we create our own, well, I'm going to do this instead of read my scriptures, say my prayers, get a relationship with God. I'm going to do this thing because it makes me feel better. And they're vain. They're vain things that that don't actually bring us closer to the Lord. And uh, No, and he talks so much about pride in chapter 2. In verse 11, he says, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and yeah. the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. And Brigham Young, he, he had a quote that said, What must the feelings of our Father in heaven at the disobedience of his children? Mm -hmm. And what must be the feelings of our fathers who are behind the veil? when their children despise the counsels of the Lord and neglect their duties to themselves and to the kingdom of God on earth, for such a course will lead to their everlasting separation. Hmm. And it, it, it really comes down to that. Right now, Satan is working so hard for you to get whatever you want, even down to selfies. Mm -hmm. Just take a picture of yourself and post it. Right. Just look at yourself. Just make yourself prettier. Get yourself to the gym. Give, give yourself fake everything. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's all about you and whatever you need. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to. Yeah, it's your truth. <laughs> yeah, but when you back up and see the whole big plan, mm -hmm and truly understand your immortality to lean on the Lord, to let go of what you want and let the Lord guide your experience. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to teach you. Yeah. We forget that we came down so he could tutor us. Yeah. And, and Satan's well, really good at saying, you're not here for him, you're here for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and, and also that, that not only that we uh, are tutored by him and learn from him to become like him, but that we need him. Mm -hmm. um, if we go back just quickly to Isaiah 1, uh, verse 18, come now, let us reason together. First off, I love that he wants to reason with me, that he thinks enough of me to like want me to understand and, and process correctly. But he says, uh, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall, shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with a sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. I think uh, Isaiah's whole purpose is to teach us about Christ, mm -hmm. teach us that there's, that there's hope in Christ, um, to teach us that though I am all of the things he says in verse one or chapter 1, uh, and, and our culture is all those things that were easily uh, swayed, um, that I can be one with the Savior, I can have my... Uh, sins blotted out, um, though they be scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Um, I think that's there's a hopeful message that Isaiah really is at just the core of everything he's saying. He gives hope in one, and then he brings us down with all the pride right. and problems we have in two. Yeah, right. And then by three, he is saying, now beware that whatever the Lord giveth, he can also taketh away. Mm -hmm. And he jumps into... Yeah. Um, people having no shame for sin. He says in verse 9 in chapter 3, the shoe of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom, and they hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Mm. And Isaiah is not afraid to say, <laughs> yeah. woe unto you for many things. 
um, woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. Yeah. Uh, he, he is well aware of what God can do, and he is trying to give men all the warning to let go of pride, to humble themselves, to take care of each other, to not let your sin be dominant. Um, just so many things emphasizing, you know, the outward beauty is not what it's about. It's the character. It's the inward yeah. desire and focus on Christ. And, yeah, and that there's a consequence, right? I mean, yeah. one, that's one of the things I love about Isaiah is he's not afraid of saying, if well, it's here in, in verse 10. He's being instructed, I think, of the Lord. He says, Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. But then in verse 11 he says, Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with them, for the, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. I think too often, especially in our day, we want, um, was it Elder Holland that said, the, the Jesus that would pat you on the head and send you off to the village love-in. Um, just this loving, give you a hug and all is well, no matter what you're doing, kind of savior because um, w w that's what we want. We want him to be that way with us. And, and I think he will be when we want it. But, um, but I think there are some times where we act and choose wicked and there is a consequence that will come with that. And oh, yeah. Regardless of how much I like Jesus, if I haven't actually given anything to him and I just live in my wickedness, there is a consequence to that. Well, verse 8, he says, Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen yeah. because of their tongue and their doings are against the Lord. And then he jumps over and he talks about women, the daughters of Zion in verse 16, how they're haughty and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes. And he goes on and on talking about their apparel, their clothing, their jewelry, their ornaments on their feet. And just the pride of, again, it's, it's about what I look like more than about what I'm doing. In verse 8... It says that their tongue and their doings are against the Lord. I wonder sometimes if, especially members of the church, are not as concerned about their doings as they are about their tongue and mm -hmm. what they say they're doing. Um, Words versus actions. Yeah. yeah. And, and I wonder if um, there's a complacency that comes with that because I look like I'm doing all the right things. I show up to church on Sunday. I am attending institute. I'm whatever the things. Isn't you that feel exactly like social are. media? Right. Let's put out into the world what we want everyone to think we're doing, but then behind the screen, what's yeah. really happening? Yeah, yeah. So how does how does the counsel in chapter three from Isaiah about our tongues and our doings apply to the young people of today and, and really all of us of today um, in just not doing the, uh, the the behind the scenes things? Right. I, I just think it's all there. Well, and I think this is multiple levels of his prophetic prophecies because he's literally talking about the kingdoms being ruined and fallen right. and, and, and they do fall. Yeah. But also to the depth of the verse, this is an example of the depth of Isaiah is sure. when we, we dig into the difference between the tongues and the actions, the tongues and doings. Yeah. So what we say and what we do. We all know that actions speak louder than words. Yeah. We have seen people who have given phenomenal service, but they don't ever get up on the pulpit and say, this week I took soup to so-and-so, right, or right. I raked so-and-so. For sure, right. They just see a need, they meet the need, they do it. Yeah. And those are the Christ-like disciples who, in their simple way, they start their day with a prayer of, how can I, what, what would you like me to do today, and who can I help, yeah. right? And that simple start to your day is says, my heart's in the right place. Yeah. I'm focused on the Lord. I'm going to let you lead my day and see what happens. And, and that's a perfect missionary, too. Yeah, for sure. Right? They stand up and 
I'm ready. Who needs me? Who well, needs the message? So let me be totally honest for a second and, and throw out a fault of mine. Sometimes <laughs> I am that way. I think about something I could do for somebody else. And the natural man in me immediately goes to and so and so we'll see it. Right? And, and I think sometimes we, we don't act because we've had that secondary thought, right? And, and I wonder if maybe the way to get to the point where we no longer think so-and-so will see it is to just do it. And even if so-and-so sees it, and even if there's some accolades you receive for it, maybe we need to become so consistently doing the right thing that those thoughts no longer come, that those thoughts of accolades that maybe come from it no longer come. Um, I, I just have that problem, and so I think it, it stops me from acting sometimes. Um, and yet, isn't that interesting? Because God wants us to love our neighbor, serve our neighbor, and yeah. Satan would like to stop us right. from doing it. Yeah. David O. McKay said, Every man and every person who lives in this world wields an influence, whether good or evil. It is not what he says alone. It is not alone what he does. It is what he is. Huh. Every man, every person radiates what he or she really is. It is what we are and what we radiate that affects people around us. Huh. So we as individuals must think nobler thoughts. We must not encourage vile thoughts or low aspirations. We shall radiate them if we do. And if we think um, noble thoughts, if we encourage and cherish noble aspirations, there will be that radiation that when we meet people, especially when we associate with them. Huh. And I think that really comes down to uh, the whole concept of the power of our thinking. Sure. So... This is something that you have to always work on. You mm -hmm. have to identify where you are, what your circumstance is. Yeah. And then the thought you think about it changes everything. Right. So if you are at a situation where you don't know anyone and you think to yourself, oh, no one even knows I'm here. Right. Then your emotions are going to be what? Negative. Negative. Yeah. And your actions are going to be hiding in the back, paying no attention, and your results will be no friends. Right, yeah. But if you are at an event where you don't know anyone and your thought is... I can't wait to meet all these great people, Yeah. right? Then your emotions are hopeful and exciting, and then your actions become going out and introducing yourself yeah. and, and gathering other people and introducing them to each other. Yeah. And by the end, the result is a lot of friends. Sure. So that's that series of choosing your thought yeah. affects your emotions, which dominates your actions, which gives you results. Man, what a wonderful step through overcoming... Um, just feelings, right? Mm -hmm. Negative feelings. Which always come from what we think. Yeah. So for him to say, you know, our tongue and our doings, you even have to back up and say, you Your know, thought. the scriptures ask for our heart, might, mind, and strength. Right. And the Lord wants every part of us. He wants to help us think true thoughts. Yeah. So when you look at Instagram or social media or other, where other people are putting all of these things into the world for right. others to see. Right. They're fake truths that they put out there. Yes. And yeah. then it, and it makes you think, oh, I'm not as pretty as her. Right. That's an incorrect thought. Right. You have to correct your thought first. Yeah. I am a daughter of God. I am a son of God. I have worth. I am important. Well, and, yeah, and what you're saying is I have to find truth first. Yes. Right? I have to find the truth from God first, not... Not my truth in the moment. My truth in the moment is that I'm sitting here alone at this party and no one's talking to me. Uh -huh. But God's truth is I've set you in this environment for you to gain a friend who's sitting across the room feeling the exact same way as you right now. Mm -hmm. So get up and go find them, right? Yes. And, and, and um, the positive truth that we can come up with, 
I think 99.9% .9 of the time is God's truth. Whatever it is that would help me draw closer to Him, become more like Him, is the truth that God would have me look at. And then, yeah, when you trust the Lord and believe His truth, I think all good things then happen, right? Yeah, no matter your circumstance. Right. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're at a conference or in a class yeah. or at a supermarket. That is not what changes. What changes is what you think. Right. And because I have the right truth in my head, and then I'm careful and cognizant of what my thoughts are, uh -huh. it leads me to act. And the feelings are then right, uh -huh. so that I act correctly with the right intent. And then the outcome is fantastic. And that's where the power is. Yeah. So the power is in the thought you choose. And you have the agency to choose what you think. Sometimes mm -hmm. thoughts pop in our head. Yeah. And we have to stop and evaluate them before we let it go any further. Yeah, so okay, so maybe answering my own question. Yeah. When I think I'm going to go do that thing and so and so will see it as a secondary thought, maybe my next thought needs to be how do I make it so so and so won't see it? How can I how can I hide that from so and so? So that then I then it becomes like a game to me where I'm like, okay, I don't want so and so to see it now mm -hmm. because I had the thought, right? I'm going to try to hide it from so and so, right? <laughs> Brother one's in a morph yeah. suit raking his neighbor's <laughs> lawn so no one knows who it is. <laughs> Yeah, I just I think maybe it needs to become more of a uh, more of an act. Um, well, and that's that, everything. That that's where it comes from. When the Lord sees your whole self, when you let truth dominate your thoughts, yeah. it's no longer about other people. It's exactly what He wants you to think. So you feel and you act in ways that then bring amazing results, even miracles. Yeah, and and I think bringing it back to Isaiah, finding a source of truth is key. Right? That, that I know where to go for the truth and I can seek Heavenly Father's truth, not my truth, not my neighbor's truth, not Facebook's truth, not Instagram's <laughs> no truth, truth, right? On <laughs> that, that I can find the actual truth matters um, and that I, that I make an effort to go and seek divinely appointed sources as opposed to just sources, mm -hmm. any source that can give me any answer. Um, I think that's maybe where we're at in our world is, is we spend so much time looking for any answer, and then we, we compare and contrast all the answers together, even though some of them have no truth involved in them, and yet we're throwing them in the pile saying, well, how does that affect truth? And how does this, now, this other non-truth truth affect truth? Um, and, and eventually we end up with all kinds of confusion and we're not anywhere close to um, where we should be in finding an actual source of truth and finding real truth. Mm -hmm. And he jumps from your thoughts, your actions to chapter five, where he talks about pride and taking advantage of worldly things. And like in verse eight, he says, woe unto them that join house to house that lay field to field till there be no more place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. And so now he goes to don't be greedy. Don't take everything. Don't think that you need to have all the worldly possessions. Don't think that everything is about greed and desires and material things, which totally fits our current situation in the world. You can't have a fast enough car or better clothes or like, yeah. you can buy so many things right now and you can have it tomorrow right. or even today yeah. if Amazon has it available yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> right, and he goes on, I think he goes on in verse 11, he says, woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink that they continue until the night till wine inflame them and the harp and the vial and the tabret and pipe and wine are in their breast, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operations of his hands. Those, <laughs> not only the worldliness of the things, but just that life should just be a party and you should be happy every moment of your life in doing fun things that have nothing to do with the, the gathering or with um, the work of the Lord, that, that we just focus so much on our own personal happiness from day to day that we ignore 
what I should be doing to help those around me or those on the other side of the veil or what the actual work of the Lord is and our work because we're members of the church, what that work really ought to be looking like, that we, we engage ourselves there. Yeah, Sister Hale said, growing up spiritually requires us to see beyond our own desires and to enlarge our way of seeing things. Mm -hmm. We not only have to let go of our selfishness, but sometimes let go of things we want very badly to come to understand our Heavenly Father's point of view. Mm -hmm. And, you know, later we read about um, the mountain of the Lord. Uh, Isaiah talks about going up into the mountains. And, and I remember as a BYU student in Provo climbing Mount Timpanogos mm -hmm. and seeing the whole view of Utah County, oh, seeing wow. all the streets out to the lake, out to the mountains on the other side, and, and just, you know, wishing for binoculars to like, where are they going? Where's that car sure. going? What are uh, they doing? Yeah. But when you sit up there and you see the whole valley and you see the perfect layout of grid of streets, right. you know where everything is. You can point out the campus, you can right. point out the mall, you can point out yeah. where all the things are with that perspective. Sure. And when we're down in the city at a store buying something, it's all about the little something we're buying. We yeah. totally forget about the view yeah, up the on the mountain. And, and the gospel, when you think of God's plan, we saw the whole plan before we came, yeah. right? We saw what earth was, that mortality would include struggles, that, that was supposed to be that way mm -hmm. for us to grow and, and keep our eyes focused on Him, and there would be more to come after. Yeah. Uh. But when we get caught up in the little tiny things, uh, even in our own struggles, why did I get cancer? Why did my husband right, leave right, me? Right, why did right. I have this happen to me at work? Why did I lose my job? We blame, you know, people tend to blame God. Yeah. Why would God let this happen to me? Well, he didn't. We chose to come here. Yeah. We chose to have mortality and we have to keep looking at him saying, okay, this is a new challenge. Right. Wasn't ready for this. How can I get through it? What should I do today? It's, it's the concept of us looking down at our problem instead of us looking up for the scope that God could give us. And interesting mm -hmm. that you had that experience on Mount Tipanogos. I uh, served my mission in Las Vegas. And uh, as you get off of the airplane, they put you on the mission bus, a big van. Um, they drive you straight down the strip in Las Vegas because it's close to the airport. So they drive you straight down the strip. And they're having you the whole time look at all the cool things that are there because most people that are serving there have never been to Vegas. And uh, they say the whole time, the, uh, the assistants of the president are driving, they're like, hey, look for the temple. Do you see the temple? And we're all looking for the temple. But we get distracted by, I don't know, the Bellagio or whatever, right? And we're, and we're just, it, it's just so cool. And they keep saying, can you see the temple? Can you see the temple? And we're like, no, where is it? And they're just, keep, keep, keep looking, you'll find it. So eventually we get past the strip and we take a right and head off uh, to the west, clear up the end of the valley. And eventually you can see the temple way up on the hill of the foothills. And, uh, and uh, you, you know, you get excited. There's a temple, you can see the temple. So we go there and unbeknownst to us the whole time, this experience was something the mission president had, our mission president had designed for us because he takes us around the back of the temple and we're sitting in this kind of courtyard there. And he says, look out across the valley, what do you see? And we said, well, we can see the whole strip and there's the, um, the stratosphere is on one end and there's a pyramid on the other side and we're, we're talking about all the things we see. And he says, the Lord would allow you to see the entirety of the plan and have all of the choices before you. But when you were in Satan's world, in the middle of that strip, Satan does not want you to see the Lord's plan. You mm, couldn't see the good. temple. You couldn't see how to get to safety. You had no idea how to get there because you're just surrounded. And unless you get above and rise above the strip, you can't see the Lord's way out. Mm. And I think that's so good that we get so focused down on our problem and what's going on around us and the, and the Satan's uh, experiences that uh, we lose the Lord sometimes in that. Yeah, and, and we have to remind ourselves to constantly look up. 
Yeah. You were talking about the temple, and I read in Isaiah 4, um, verse 5, he says, The Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory shall be a deference. Mm. Again, when we were in Provo, that's the Provo temple. Yeah. Cloud by day, yep. pillar of fire right. by night. Yeah. Everyone was like, why is the temple shaped like a cupcake? Yeah, it's not. Right. Yeah. It's shaped like a cloud by oh, day cool. and a pillar of fire by night. Oh, that's so cool. And and so and now it's been, the pillar of fire used to be golden yellow, and now they've painted it white. Yeah. But that's what it represented is what oh, Isaiah is talking no about. And they have the same scripture in this, in Second Nephi in 14, but they add a different word. It's 14 verse 5. And he says, And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion huh. upon her assemblies a cloud of smoke by day and a shining flaming fire by night. And truly our temple, just like the children of Israel were led through the wilderness by that cloud and by that pillar of fire, we are led through mortality by the temple yeah. and by the perspective it gives us of the whole big plan of why we're here. So the more you go to the temple, yeah. the more your mind opens up to what life is really about, what we were created to do, that it's yeah. our job to bring other spirits into mortal bodies and have this experience on earth, mm. and that we all have to turn to Christ to be redeemed yeah. and to return home. Yeah, and, and you know, how cool is it that, that as a member of God's church, we understand that. We understand the plan at that level. Um, one of the verses that strikes me in, ver in chapter 5 um, is one that I think most, um, most Christians really would, would know. Verse 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Uh, my daughter uh, yesterday came home from work and uh, there was an uh, employee working with her who just had some questions about the church and and he was sharing that his wife was really bothered by the temples that we build and thought with all the money that the church has, couldn't they do something better than build these giant expensive buildings? And uh, it was really interesting to hear how my daughter responded to that, which was very much um, that, you know, temples in, since the Old Testament have been the most expensive building. It's the house of the Lord. It's all these things, right? And what the work that's going on there is um, just wonderful and, and the Eternal. most important work, right? Mm -hmm. And it made me think of this verse because someone without the understanding that was necessary thinks evil of the temple, thinks that what a horrible thing that we're spending so much money on that, right? And, and I think our world is really rampant with uh, wicked things being thought as positive and happy and righteous and, and vice versa. and. Uh, but that was a, a, a simple example of how just our ignorance sometimes causes us to think something is wicked when the Lord's seeing it as a very righteous thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but we haven't taken the time to study it at all, and so we're offended by it, or especially words of prophets and things that, you know, the way that they speak sometimes, we haven't really put any thought into it. And so the initial knee-jerk reaction is something that is offensive to the culture of the people that they are speaking to or something. And I just... I would like us to take a little more time and be a little more thoughtful and a little more pondering in how we react to the words of the prophets because I guarantee you none of the prophets living today are as bold and direct about the consequences as Isaiah was um, in his day here. It's, he's, pretty, uh, he's pretty direct. He is, and he focuses a lot on all of the right things, putting our hearts in the right place, uh, the blessings of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. he, he has that great verse, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, meaning right. 
when we repent, the Lord truly forgives us and he forgets. Yeah. It becomes as if it were never there. Yeah. And as humans, we need to be better yeah. at also forgetting our, our neighbor's sin, our family's sin. He our, also, own, our own sin. Yeah, right? our own. He also goes on and on about avoiding worldliness and appearance. You know, he's talking about the manner of dress and things pertaining to men as well as women that we have to be mindful of. And he, there's also the verse about calling good evil yeah. an evil good. Like, yeah. that's our... That's what we live in today. Yeah. What has been defined as marriage is no longer, yeah. in the world's eyes, what the right. Lord sees as marriage. And, and the unity where a husband and wife can bring a child into the world, well, the only way for a child to get here is still between a man and a woman. Yeah. That is the only way well, it can arrive. the definition of man and woman has yeah. become something that is evil if you say it as God has always intended it. I, I really love this. I, I love that the first five chapters of Isaiah... Are, are a whole lot of him prophesying and his teachings, things that he had learned from the Lord. And you don't even get his call, his mission call, until we get to chapter 6. And then we get this like really, really visceral kind of experience that, um, that he goes through in getting his mission call, um, where, uh, can I just read verse 5? He says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. I mean, just what a powerful connection to the Savior's experience in the pre-existence, here am I, send me kind of language. Um, Isaiah starts his mission saying, I'm unworthy to do this. I, I don't speak correctly. Um, the people I live around haven't spoken correctly. We've, we've done things wrong. And the Lord's first act is to cleanse him, to send the angel with the with the hot coal to set on his mouth cleanse and his, cleanse his mouth. The thing but that isn't Isaiah that interesting? So that that's also the first thing he did for Joseph Smith in the yeah, Grove. Yeah. When Joseph knelt to pray, his first question was not which church should I should join. Right. It is yeah. uh, he wanted to be Are forgiven of his forgiven? sins. I, yeah. Yes. And the first thing he did was call him by name. Yeah. And forgive his sins. And it's, there's so much power in both of these examples with Isaiah and Joseph that the Lord knows you. Yeah. He knows your name. Yeah. He knows your heart, your intent, yeah. your character. And he got right to work. Right. Yes, I know your name, Joseph. You're forgiven. Now let's get to yeah, work. Yeah, right. I need you to restore the gospel in these last days and yeah, we're going to translate which, the Book of Mormon. Yeah, which speaks something to me about how simple it is sometimes for the Lord to, to forgive us. Yeah. Right? He, he, not, that, not that I should sin because it's simple, but that I, I don't need to dwell on my stuff that I've done and, and just go to the Lord and say, can I be forgiven? He'll forgive you because he wants to get you back. His, his goal is to keep you, right? Which is why he gave us the model of families. Yeah. There's no parent who stops loving their child just because of the things they've done. Yeah, I, I've had kids that have made total messes of our life, our home. They've wrecked the cars. They've right. broken things. But their actions has never have, has never changed my love for them. Right. I, I will never stop loving my children. Period. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Their choices may be disappointing or surprising or you know cause other emotions, but the Lord loves us. He desires for us to make yeah. good choices. He desires for us to follow the Savior and remember the purpose of being in mortality. Yeah. And he will remind us through prophets like Isaiah, but the love is always there. And ultimately, even if um, the actions of our children make us 
sad, if it's making them happy and, and doing what would be right makes them unhappy, I want them to be happy. So make those choices. Do that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if that's going to make you happy, I know that choosing the right things would make you ultimately happy eternally yeah. and maybe even in life. But Well, and, and truthfully, if we were to summarize, uh, we did not make it through all our chapters. No, that's, but that's Isaiah. That's good. The words of Isaiah teach us so many things about the latter days. Uh, and if we study his counsel, we're definitely going to learn how to stand in holy places. Yeah. We're going to learn how to avoid evils of the world. And we'll be more willing to be a servant of our Heavenly Father uh, when he needs us in yeah. the lives of his children. And those simple messages come out of so much depth mm -hmm. in these verses. And look forward to studying Isaiah because there's there's going to be several chapters yeah. <laughs> through the next few weeks of the Come, Follow Me series. It is worth looking at other sources. It's yeah. worth um, studying the books of people who have studied and written about Isaiah because it really will enlighten you to what yeah. he's saying. If you don't understand the words clearly straight out of the scriptures, sure. look for some positive sources that help you understand yeah. here's what he's trying to say. Here's what he's teaching. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Can I give you an example of that? Just right in line with where we are at. Chapter 6, right after he gets his call, um, we'll kind of use this as our closing invitation. Um, verse 9, he says, uh, the Lord says, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. In other words, go tell them. You're not getting it. You're seeing it but you're not really seeing it. You're hearing it, but you're not really hearing and understanding it. And then the next verse might be confusing. It says, make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. That, that might be read like the Lord's telling them, go like blind those people and make them unwise and don't let them convert. We don't want that, right? It Just a cursory reading of that, but but really what the Lord is saying to Isaiah here is by teaching them that you're going to have their, their reaction is going to be that they're going to blind their eyes. They're going to cover their, uh, their ears. They're, they're not going to see. So Isaiah is being set up by the Lord to understand what's going to happen when he goes out. Um, and, and I just think that those two verses backed up right next to each other, exactly what you just said. That without somebody who has studied that and thought about that and read through that and pondered it and studied it in other sources, I might read that and be really confused as to why the Lord is having Isaiah go out and like unconvert people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I love Isaiah. I think there's so much depth like we started. Um, I think it's worth our time uh, as, been, as we've been commanded from the Lord. Uh, Sister Burke, thank you. This has been so good. Do you have anything else you'd say uh, to the young people of the church as we close things up today? We love them. Yeah. Come to Institute. Yeah. We'll take it. We'll take it. Come have a discussion in the room with a teacher and get your questions answered. It's the best place to ask questions. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for being here today. You bet. We'll see you later. Thank you.